Well, every week, you, I'm, I'm sure you know, uh, one of the things that I pray for in the midst of the invocation at the beginning of the worship service is that the Lord would grant us a reprieve from the world, that He would grant us a reprieve from the burdens from the world that we carry in here from the past week and that await us in the week ahead so that we're not hindered from receiving the spiritual nourishment that He desires to give to us through the simple means of grace. Again, that's something that I do every week, and I do that because all of us in this room spend 166 and a half hours of the 168 hours of the week in the midst of circumstances that are burden-producing. It's, it's common for all of us to be in the midst of those things. A burden is defined as a heavy load. It is a heavy load that um, can be produced by anything. It can be produced by that which is spiritual and physical and mental and emotional. Uh, they are burdens. Uh, they are things that can wear us, wear us down to the point of exhaustion. Because we carry them on our shoulders, we carry them on our backs as we navigate the ups and downs of just any normal week. They're common to man, and some of them are heavier than others, of course, and, but some of them are just a normal part of typical responsibilities of daily life. Not all of them are negative. Uh, for example, I, as a pastor, carry the burden of your spiritual well-being, and that is a good burden to carry, but it's a weighty burden. Uh, parents, you carry the burden of raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's a good burden, but it's a heavy burden. But some of burdens are also negative. Of course, we think of the burden of sin that Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 5. It is a burden that we all carry. It is a negative burden that we all carry. But it's also a negative burden that we're to carry for one another. We're to come alongside one another and carry those for one another. But we not only carry burdens... We also, through the courses of our week or the course of our week, experience and encounter various storms. Again, none of us are immune from them. There are storms that are both external and internal. Uh, there are storms that arise suddenly and out of nowhere. There are some that we see developing on the horizon and they begin to move toward us. There are storms that dissipate as quickly as they form, and then there are storms that move overhead and stall and just pound with the rain and the wind over and over and over again. Some of them, of course, are acute, and they're debilitating, and they're life-threatening, and then others are more chronic in nature, and they're definitely inconvenient and more life-altering. All of them are, unfortunately, a part of a normal weather pattern of a fallen world. And they're things that we encounter day after day. 
And our passage tonight speaks directly to this reality. And fortunately for us, it also not only speaks to this reality, but it provides hope for all of those who are in Christ in the midst of the storms we encounter. As we've been seeing over the last few weeks, and the same will be the case tonight, as we look into our text, our sorrows may be opened, we may experience some conviction, and definitely be be challenged, but fortunately by the end, the good news is we're going to find comfort, we're going to be encouraged, we're going to receive refreshment as we see Jesus and hear His gospel. For while He may not protect us from moving into those storms or from those storms developing and moving over us, and He may in fact lead us into them, one thing we know for sure, and that is He will certainly protect us and sustain us in the midst of them. And that is the encouragement that we need. Our outline tonight looks like this. We're going to look at the activity of storms. We're going to look at the authority of Christ. And then the assessment of men. And we're going to come to a conclusion. where We're going to come to a place where we must decide how we're going to respond in the midst of those things. But before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, by your Spirit, please grant us power. Pre- Please grant power um, to the preaching of your word. Grant us the ability to appraise and apprehend your truth. Awaken our attention. Open our sorrows. Convict us and challenge us. But again, please refresh us, encourage us, comfort us as we see Jesus. As always, I am weak and needy to the task that you've called me to, so I ask for For you to strengthen me and support me and fill me with your spirit, that I might be a pure channel of grace and do something good for you this evening. I pray that I'd communicate, as always, with clarity and fluency and fervency and grace. May we, in fact, see Jesus. Help us in that, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Again, we're in Luke chapter 8. Our passage that, that Hans just read in verses 22 to 39 uh, consists of two stories. Right? We're going to look at both of those tonight. The first begins in verse 22, and it begins with Jesus getting into a boat, and he has the intention of going across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, and you can imagine with the days that Uh, Leading up to this, he's been preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's been healing. He's been exercising demons. Um, And then there's been this ongoing, growing opposition to his ministry. And so by this time, he is obviously, uh, and more than likely anyway, um, exhausted. And so this journey, uh, this 15, this journey across the 13-mile-long and 8-mile-wide lake is going to provide the perfect opportunity. It's, it's going to provide the time as, as well as the solitude for a good nap. But unfortunately, that nap is soon uh, interrupted. It's short-lived due to a disruption. And I use that term uh, 
for a reason based on its definition. Because what we have here is there's an interruption that awakens him. And that interruption that awakens him is precipitated by a significant disturbance. It's, it's, a, drastic, it's a disturbance that drastically alters the serenity and tranquility of this trip across the lake. He is asleep because he's been aided to that place of, of sleep by a gentle rocking. Just imagine a gentle rocking of a boat. There's been this soft cadence of the oars, and then there's that gentle, soft lapping of the water against the boat, and he is out. But then the disturbance comes. A great windstorm, a tempest blows up, and rather than spend all the time to share with you about the, geogra- the, the geography and, and um, you know, the weather patterns in this area and why that happened, just know that this storm came up so suddenly and was so strong that those in the boat, most of whom are, or many of whom are fishermen and are used to boats and used to storms, are scared. They're frightened. Actually, they believe they're perishing. It's so strong that they believe they're going to die. The wind wind that had been created is is blowing the boat back and forth, and the waves are so big that they're blowing over the side and they're filling it up. Luke says they're in danger. Now, the second story takes place once they get to the other side. In verse 27, Jesus says, or Luke says that Jesus got out of the boat, and the minute he gets out of the boat, he's met with or met by a man from the city who had demons. The storm he was experiencing wasn't external and physical, it was internal and spiritual. It was a storm that was raging within his soul. And He'd been possessed for a long time, not by one demon, but by many. And this possession, this inward disruption, had left him naked and living among the dead and completely out of his mind. He was socially ostracized, and he was a danger to himself and to others, so much so that they, people would come and bind his hands and feet with chains and with strong ropes. But the supernatural power within him was so strong that he would break those and those demons would drive him out to the wilderness to writhe in his misery in isolation. Now, both of these historical events are illustrative for us today. They give us pictures that we need to see. They provide us with those vivid pictures of what we experience throughout the course of our lives. The external and internal storms we all face. And I can say that because the Bible makes the connections for us. I'm not making that up on on my own. We see it in Scripture itself. For example, the external storms... And the trouble at sea in that connection we find in Psalm 18. It says, He sent from on high, He took me, He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. 
In Psalm 65, we read that the God of our salvation stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. And in Psalm 69, we read, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I have come up into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. Deliver me from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up. So it's with confidence that I can say, as, or I could say, as we began, that we all face storms in our lives. The type and severity are, are wide and varied from person to person. You may have been battered and bruised from the storm, from the waves and, and the high waters of the loss of a child. Or you may have been battered by the storm of not being able to have a child. You may have experienced the storm of the diagnosis of a chronic disease or some sort of debilitating illness. Or you may be in the midst of a storm where you're caring right now for a family member who is dying. Some have been tossed about by an unexpected surgery or some have been um, tossed about by a pandemic. Some are being battered and bruised through the loss of a job or some sort of financial setback. Some have had to go through a storm of divorce, the straining of a relationship, or maybe even just being, not just, but being a witness to a traumatic event that you can't get out of your mind. And sometimes it's not just one uh, isolated in incident, but it might be a series of events that just happen one after the other. And just as, as if you get to that place when you, you can get your head above water to get a breath, that wave comes crashing down, another event comes and crashes down and pushes you back under, and you feel like you can't breathe. And for some of you, those uh, the events, if you just took one by itself, it, it would seem insignificant and not such a big deal, but when they add up over time, sometimes it's more than you can bear, and it's no longer insignificant, it's no longer manageable, but the water just keeps coming into your boat faster than you could bail. And again, I, as I mentioned a moment ago, many of these storms are sudden, out of nowhere, sometimes you see them coming. Some of them disappear, dissipate as quickly as they form, but others just seem to stall. It's just rain, just like it's felt for a few days, you know, just rain after storm, rain, rain, and rain. And then, and then we've all have to deal with the internal storms as well. Right, the internal storm due to our sin, created by sin, see, sin that leaves us naked in our guilt and our shame, sin that wreaks havoc in our relationships and leaves us feeling alone and alienated from the people that we love, sin that leads, leaves us again uh, despondent, right, and, and then it drives us into isolation, again because of our shame in one respect, but also because we fear being exposed. There's sin that distorts our thoughts and our emotions and, 
and, and sin that causes us to feel more comfortable in the presence of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Those who are hostile in mind, you know, alienated and hostile in mind, rather than being in the presence of those who are born again and have been resurrected to walk in newness of life. And that sin can be unrelenting, right? It, it just beats on us and batters us and, and leaves us with storm-tossed souls. All of those things are real. They're real. We can all identify. And the question for us is, where do we go? Where do we go when those storms hit? What do we do in the midst of them? Uh, how do we respond? Where do we go for protection and respite? How do we endure? How do we persevere? Who do we go to to cry out for help and reprieve? Who do we go to for solace and strength? Look at verse 24. Luke says, And they went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was calm. In the midst of their danger, in the midst of the storm, frightened for their lives, the disciples cry out to Jesus. It's interesting, right? It's not the storm that woke him up. It's their cry for help. Their cry awakens him. He is asleep in the midst of the storm raging around them. Their fear, their fear led to panic. His peace led to rest. And he graciously, graciously and mercifully, he responds to them. He hears them and he wakes up. But notice he doesn't address them, at least in the beginning, he addresses the storm itself. He addresses the waves and the wind that's crashing around them. He simply spoke and everything became still. Right? It wasn't a storm that just died down. It disappeared immediately. At his command, the winds ceased. The waves went flat. The clouds vanished. The sun came out. And there's calm. In Paul's words, the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things had been created, the one who is before all things and in whom all things holds together, the one who sustains and upholds the universe with the word of his power, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, exercised his authority and his power, and nature responded accordingly. And calm was restored. Outside and inside. Right? The, storm, the storm was calm. They were calm. The, the fear and the panic of the disciples had been replaced with His peace and rest. And His word was enough to restore the order that was needed. Second story. The demon-possessed man doesn't cry out for help. The demons that possessed him cried out to be left alone. They didn't want Jesus to be around. They knew their ultimate destiny. Their ultimate destiny 
had already been decided. It was the abyss. It was the bottomless pit. It was the place of the dead. And they didn't want to go any sooner than they were supposed to go. And so they, they cry out to be left alone. And despite the fact that it's 2,000 to 1, again, by the word of His power and with His authority, He commands the demons to leave and then gives them permission to, to enter into those pigs And by the way, those pigs launched themselves off the side of the cliff. And from what we know of Scripture and the abyss being related to the deep or the sea, we get a picture of what is to come on the day of judgment. And again, in the words of Paul, he who is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, he who would eventually disarm the powers and authorities and make a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by his cross, he is the one that exercised his authority and spoke, and the demons responded. And to summarize the words of Daryl Bach, it was a complete reversal. The man who was naked, roaming around, isolated, crying out in a loud voice and wanting nothing to do with Jesus was now clothed of sound mind and associating with others as he comfortably sat at the feet of Jesus. A dramatic transformation. Calm had been restored to his storm-tossed soul. Brothers and sisters, I I would like for you to hear these words of encouragement tonight. All of those who have repented of their sin and turned to faith in Christ for the salvation that He alone has secured for all those who have been called before the foundation of the world please hear that you have been released from your bondage to sin and death and are now free in Christ. Hear now, you are no longer naked in your guilt and shame of your sin, but you have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You are no longer alone. You're no longer isolated and living among the dead. You have been reconciled to God. You have been adopted into His family. And you've been made a part of His church. You're no longer hostile in mind. You have the mind of Christ. You can now, we can now sing the words of Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend. In Christ alone, our hope is found. He's our light, our strength, our song. He is our cornerstone, solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, depths of peace, our fears are stilled in our striving cease. He's our comforter. He's our all in all. It's in the love of Christ that we all stand in the midst of the storms that we experience. And because you are His, 
regardless of the storms you face, you can rest assured that he will never let you go. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you listened to the words you just sang, but I want to read them for us again in the words of the prophet Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. So when you pass through the waters, I'm with you. And when you walk through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Philip Ryken sums it up nicely when he says, Everyone who trusts in Christ has this comfort. Jesus has saved us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He is sovereign over everything that threatens to harm us. Now by his spirit, he is on board with us through all of life's troubles until at last he will receive us into the haven of his everlasting love. Praise God for all that is ours in Jesus. And the question is, how, how do those in the stories respond? Because you know, how do we respond? Let's look at the assessment of men. In the first storm, after the cal- or in the first story, after the calming of the storm, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, Where, where's your faith? It is a rebuke, but it's a gentle and compassionate rebuke. Uh, they had seen the miracles he's, he had performed. They had heard the good news of the of the coming of the kingdom of God. They had watched him heal and, and they had watched him exercise demons. And, and at that moment in the storm, they had to wake him up. He was at such peace and rest. They actually had to wake him up in the middle of that, in the middle of that tempest because he didn't feel any danger. He wasn't afraid. He was able to rest. Why? Because he's trusting in his father. He's resting in the Father. But they had, allowed their, they had allowed their circumstances to overwhelm them. They had taken their eyes off of Him and are looking at the storm around them. But the reality was, even in the midst of that, they're growing. right? They're growing and they're changing more and more. Things are, are, are slowly coming about in their minds. And I say that because they respond with awe and wonder. We see a different response in a minute. But they respond with awe and wonder... But it's not only that, they even, they ask the question, you know, they say to themselves, saying to one another, who is this? But then they turn around and answer it themselves, really, right? Who is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? So in one part, they're like, who is this? And another, well, he's commanding nature and it's responding. And so who else does that but the Lord? Who else does that but God? So slowly it's, it's coming to them over, over time. It, it, it's, it's catching on. And it's interesting, in their minds they're wrestling with that, but when Jesus gets out of the boat on the other side, immediately the demons recognize it. Right? He is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Just like we saw in chapter 4, the demons know exactly who He is. So they're asking questions, but they're getting there. Now, the demon-possessed man, he responds a little differently. He had had this life-changing encounter as well. He'd been healed, and that's not just how he felt. 
other people saw it. They recognized he was vastly different. It was unmistakable. And in verse 38, Luke says, he begs Jesus, please let me come with you. I want to I come with you. But Jesus sent him home. And it wasn't because his time had not yet come. Luke is very clear. He sent him home so that he could go back to his hometown, go back into town, and tell everybody that he knew what God had done for him. And notice what he does. He, he goes away, as Jesus told him to, but Luke said that he went throughout the whole city proclaiming what Jesus had done. And very subtly, we realize that the man knew and believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was God. And he didn't have to leave his hometown to be useful. He could bloom where he was planted. Now notice the people. How do they respond? They they respond with fear. Again, not not awe and wonder, just, just fear and dread. And they didn't want any part of Jesus. They didn't want him around, so they tried to get him to, to leave. And they, they, it could have been because of this, the financial problem, you know, that he just, you know, 2,000 pigs just went over the side of the cliff. And so they could have been upset that due to the, the financial hardship that they were going to, to experience because of that. But I think more than likely, it, it was just due to the fact that they were confronted with their own sin. Right, Luke puts this in order for a reason. Let's think back over the last, last couple of weeks and imagine, so why would they react this way? Why would so many, right, why would so many see what had transformed in the life of this man and not respond? Why would in the midst of this incredible miracle would only one desire to follow? The soil of their hearts was hard, right? And, and they were in the dark, and they liked the dark. And so when the light had come and exposed the truth, they would, rather than follow the light, they wanted to stay in the dark, and so they sought to put the light out. So there are a couple points that I'd ask us all to consider as we wrap up tonight. And the first is this. The faith of the disciples waned while in the boat. And we can't give them a hard time about that uh, for, for many reasons. But, but one is, remember, they're on the front end of the cross. Right? Everything hasn't been revealed as of yet. They're still asking questions. But brothers and sisters, for us, on the back end of the cross, right? we know how his ministry ends, and we know that he humbles himself and becomes, he, 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 we know that he humbled himself, and, and by uh, becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross, right? Therefore, God highly exalted him. We know that he's been highly exalted. And that God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
The Lord Jesus is sovereign in any and all of our storms, in any and all of our circumstances. He continues to be in control. He continues to be in our boat. And He has not left us, or He did leave us an example of what peace and rest looks like in the midst of those storms by trusting the Father. But we've also been promised to the, the power and the grace of His Spirit to help us persevere in the midst of them. And He may... He may not. He doesn't usually calm our storms immediately. But what He does do is provide us with what we need to endure in the midst of it. Therefore, we don't need to be afraid. So in those moments when, when you're being tossed about, in those moments when whether it's come up quickly or you've watched it approaching, in the midst of the emotions that well up, when you feel them coming and even when they surprise you because you're thinking back even on a storm that you've experienced, remember, look to Him. Cast your cares upon Him. Pray with thanksgiving and receive His peace that surpasses all understanding. For He cares for you. He offers this to you because He cares for you. And finally, let's, let's remember that we don't have to sell all we own and leave our family and friends to be, to be of use for Christ and His kingdom. Your family, your neighborhood, and your community all need to hear the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We're, we're to make disciples where we are, going throughout the course of our day, where we've been planted, in our neighborhoods and schools, our homes, neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, right in the community in which we live. That, that is where we've been planted. And interestingly enough, you know, in our area right now, and you know this as well as I do, the Lord has seen fit to bring the nations to us. We can walk out our front door and go to all nations and proclaim the truth of the gospel. May we do so with confidence and without fear, indiscriminately casting the seed of the gospel to all that we come into contact with, trusting in the Lord of the harvest to prepare the hearts of those upon which that seed is going to fall. He'll cause that seed to grow and produce fruit. But let's also remember that let's be sensitive to that call to, to go to the nations. Right? Having those opportunities, let's, let's not be afraid of, of going as well when called to do so. For those who have ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. By your spirit, Father, and grace, would you enable us, enable us to receive the word with faith and love. May we lay it up on our hearts and practice it in our lives. Would you water the hearts of those who have heard your word preached? And may the seed sown in weakness be raised in power.
and show forth fruit of righteousness for your glory and for our good in the sake of Christ and his church. I pray these things. Amen.